Hey guys, welcome back to the Switch Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm also Jake, and today it's such an honor for the Switch Podcast to welcome... HBO sports writer John Frankel to the podcast. John Frankel is also a Columbia grammar and prep dad where we go and his daughter, Gemma, is in our grave. So we can't thank you enough for joining us. We can't wait to get started. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we hope that you and your family are staying safe and let's start the interview. But before, uh, and our first question is, when did you start, want, when did you like first know that you wanted to have a career in sports and like were you an athlete growing up? The, the answer to when did I decide to be a, get into sports as a career was when I realized that being a lawyer was going to require three more years of going to school after college. <laughs> so, um, but yes, I played sports all through high school and uh, intended and attempted to play football at Syracuse University, where I was a recruited uh, walk-on, uh, now called a preferred walk-on in in the colloquial terms of college sports. Um, and uh, there was a nice combination because Syracuse has the really uh, well-respected and highly regarded Newhouse School of Communication. So playing football and being able to attend a school like Newhouse was a terrific combination and put me around a lot of like-minded people and uh, also gave me a wonderful network to some incredible broadcasters who had come before me at Syracuse and including uh, Bob Costas, who you may have heard of. And Bob actually gave me my first job out of Syracuse as an associate producer uh, on his radio shows at the time. He was also hosting the NFL Live on NBC Sports, um, which was the pregame show for NBC's NFL games. And then I took that and, and working alongside Bob and learning a tremendous amount, decided that I finally had the confidence to go pursue an on-air career uh, I also had a brief stop at NFL Films, but then started as a local sportscaster in local television markets, and the first one was West Palm Beach, Florida, where I was the guy who, on the 6 and 11 newscast, sat on the desk and gave the highlights and the scores of the day, and then during the week, I would go out in the field and I'd be a reporter covering sports, anything from car racing to women's golf to the University of Miami football team, tennis, you name it, high school sports. And it was a wonderful experience. And then I went from there to Miami and did did a very similar job at a a television station in Miami, which was a larger market. And then also got a taste of news, but um, came back to my hometown of New York City. And I was the weekend sportscaster at Channel 4 there. And then I joined the Today Show at NBC and uh, so forth and so on. I had a couple other jobs in there. And uh, back in 2006, I joined HBO's Real Sports with Brian Gumbel as a correspondent on a monthly sports television program, and I'm still doing that now, what is it, 14 years later. So, what did you enjoy most about going to Syracuse, and also my dad actually also attended Syracuse? So, um, I'm guessing I'm a few years older than your dad. Uh, What did I enjoy most about Syracuse? Uh, again, I think that the fact that it offered me the opportunity uh, to pursue both a, a career um, that's turned out to be very fruitful and the opportunity to try and play football. Um, but I made some very good friends. I went with one of my best friends from high school. And, uh, and I, you know, it, it put me in an, in an orbit of other people who were pursuing similar fields 
Um, you know, some names that you might know who around the time I was there, Mike Tirico, uh, obviously has had a tremendous career. Uh, Ian Eagle as well. And there are many others who you might not know off the top of your head, but who are play-by-play guys around the country for professional teams and collegiate teams and have done extremely well. So being around those sorts of people and obviously giving me the opportunity to even be in the, in the network of a Bob Costas, I wouldn't have had that if I went someplace else. Um, I can't say I love the winters in Syracuse. Uh, but uh, as Gemma, my daughter, who you go to school with, can attest to, it gave me a lifelong uh, affinity and passion for wearing orange. Yeah. So um, early in your career, you worked at NFL Films. So what was that like? Working at NFL Films was what I would describe and have since described as a really good learning experience, but a not-so-fun job. <laughs> and what I mean by that is is that I loved football, obviously, when I went there. But when you live, sleep, eat, drink, breathe football 24-7, you know, I wasn't there quite a year, so I can't say 24-7, 365. But when you have to watch football for a living and then spend every minute looking over film, which is what they still shot on at the time, um, it, it becomes a little mind-numbing. But I learned a heck of a lot about how to tell stories using pictures. And I'm sure you guys have had a chance to edit. You're going to edit. You may edit this, and you've probably played with iMovie or other things. And what you realize is that, um, you know, every little frame can make a difference. And at the time, I didn't know that, but there were people there who taught me that. That, oh, no, wait a second, you want to... You want to make the edit right there before the hand comes through the frame or before that happens. And that, that served me very well, not just in telling stories when I was a local sportscaster, but in addition to my work on the air, I've produced and directed three documentary films. And while each time I've had other people edit them, I've done some of the editing. And so it's really given me a, a really good lifelong background as to how to do that. So you worked in both New York and Florida. So, like, what did you enjoy most about working in two different states? Working in Florida was great because it gave me the opportunity to get started. Um, There is small when you're when you're trying to break into television, and it was a different world back in 1988 um, when I first started. But that was the traditional route. You had to go to a small market to, to break in. And there weren't as many cable outlets. Uh, there probably there weren't any. There, there were limited cable outlets, and so there weren't those sorts of opportunities around big cities. Um, and if you ask me, do I want to go work in, you know, Utica or Elmira, New York, or go live in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida? Um, I think that living in Florida was really a lot of fun as a twenty-four-year-old. So one, living in Florida gave me an opportunity to break into the business in a medium-sized market. Two, there was so much going on in sports, uh, again, from from covering everything, which you might not get in certain markets, but Florida was so appealing to so many different sports leagues so that I literally, uh, I, I just met a woman the other day who is, is a golf teaching professional now, and she used to play on the LPGA Tour, and I covered her when she would come through the, the West Palm Beach market. So we covered the LPGA, the PGA, junior golf tournaments, the PGA seniors. So I got a chance to, you know, cover Jack Nicholas and such. And because the West Palm Beach market was so close to Miami, 
um, we got a chance to cover all those big teams. So I was working there when the Miami Heat came into existence, when the um, when the Marlins came into existence, when the Panthers, the hockey team came into existence. So I saw a real growth and, and being able to cover those sorts of things from not only the sports side, but the business side is people were trying to bring those teams into those markets was really an, an exceptional experience. And the other thing is, is I got to work with some people and, and I mean camera people who were amazing and real, not only could they do the nuts and bolts, but they were real artists and they knew and they taught me so much about how to cover a story and what were the important pictures to get um, in covering. And, and that was different from New York because New York was such a big market and it was so settled already and people were so comfortable in the way they did things. And also it was a union um, city so that the camera folks were and the editors were you know, a little more rigid in the way they did things. And, um, and so I got to really do some extraordinary work when I was in Miami, not because it was me, but because of the opportunities that, that I was given. So in 2007, you, produ- you directed and produced Hellfighters, an independent documentary by ESPN. So what was that whole experience like for you? In short, that was one of the best experiences I've ever had as a, if you want to say, a, a TV reporter, a, a journalist, if you will, um, and in some ways one of the purest experiences I've had as a reporter because while I had read an article about the team uh, a few years earlier written by Harvey Ayrton in the New York Times, um, I really, you know, I, and, and then it was sort of serendipitous that I ran into this football coach um, who coached this high school football team out of Harlem and what made the team unique is that there were there were very few high school football teams um, in the New York City area in general, in the five boroughs. And most of them are in the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. But on the island of Manhattan, there were only two high schools that had high school football teams. And one was George Washington up in Washington Heights, and the other was Stuyvesant High School downtown. And what this coach did, Duke Ferguson, was he got permission from the city to basically create a community team so that if the kids went to a high school that didn't have football, they could play on this team. So he was able to take kids from all different high schools and create this team. And they didn't have a home base. They didn't have a home practice field. And they would travel by subway and they'd walk around parts of New York. And uh, they had already been in existence for a couple of years when I ended up following them. And I spent a year or the better part of a, a football season, the whole football season, and then a few months after, following them, and it, and it was really a great experience because I didn't know what I didn't know what was going to unfold in front of me, and there was a lot of drama um, that we were able to uh, successfully capture. I shot ninety eight percent of the film on my own, and uh, while today a lot of people might choose to edit on their own, I, I chose to hire an editor um, who was really talented, and we were able to produce that film and and doing a documentary for the first time. While there were a lot of missteps, there were a lot of highs as well. And we were able to get into the Tribeca Film Festival with the first film that I ever made, and then ESPN bought it coming out of that festival. So for the past several years, you have been involved with Real Sports with Brian Gumbel on HBO, and you have reported on many subjects ranging from the gun industry to the Olympic Games and the use of performance enhancing drugs in sports. So what have you enjoyed most 
about your HBO sports rule? You guys have, first let me say, you guys have done your homework. And you, you're asking very good questions. So I appreciate that. And that is the first sign to being a good reporter, and I hope I've done that. In my, in my travels, and, and I, travels is one of the things that is actually the highlight of my career. Um, as much as Gemma and my other kids and my wife like having me home, I think they also like to see me head out the door <laughs> so I don't bother them too much. But years ago when I worked at ABC, and um, Peter Jennings was the longtime anchor of World News Tonight. He said, one of the great things about our business is that we get to see the world on somebody else's dime. And what he meant by that is we get to travel and we don't have to pay for it. And we get to see some amazing places and even more important, get to meet some incredibly interesting um, and often fun people. And I think that's really been the highlight in general from those stories that you've mentioned that when I get to go to new places, and I don't just mean internationally, I mean domestically as well, here in the United States. <coughs> Excuse me. I've been to all 50 states. Uh, I've been to the biggest cities and the nicest places and the smallest little towns um, that you might not be able to pick out on a map. And I would say some of the most interesting and, and enjoyable stories I've done um, you know, one was not when I was at Real Sports, but it was in a town called Amherst, Texas, which is how the college is named. Um, and I did a story about six-man football. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Your towns are so small that the high schools don't have enough players to field 11-person teams. And so they play with six-man uh, teams. And the rules are a little bit different, but the game is incredibly fun to watch. So I've done that and, and met people who grow cotton and wheat and uh, for products that are used in, in, you know, by Levi's jeans and, and, uh, and Doritos uh, in doing those stories. And then in the real sports stories, I've you know, been to countries all over the world, um, from Japan to Norway to Brazil and, uh, and many more. And the, the travel, again, is, is amazing. And the people that you meet and the things that you learn. So I can't claim to be an expert on any one subject. Um, some people may say that's not a great thing. But what, I'm, what I am able to do is say that I've learned uh, a little bit about a lot of things. And one of the great stories that I've always loved, um, and I, I would say is one of the highlights of, of my career personally, um, was a story I did down in Arkansas with a high school football coach named Kevin Kelly at Pulaski Academy, and he doesn't believe in punting the ball. And it's really based in math. It's not just because he's a madman. And uh, he's a terrific guy, and um, it's one of the great memories I have. But the story, for instance, that you mentioned about kids and gun control was also an incredibly interesting story and took us to lots of different places, um, including Boise, Idaho, and... And that was an important story that we did. It turned out that the story won an award, but that's not why I do the stories. Um, but that was a that was a story that uh, resonated with a lot of people because it wasn't so much about gun control as just trying to look at sort of the net the the inherent dangers of using a gun, and that's why it was called you know kids and guns, and and we were looking at the safety aspect of guns and how young is too young for a kid. Even if you grow up in a family that loves to hunt, how young is too young to be operating a gun? And that was sort of the basic gist of that story. 
So he's won several awards while working at HBO Sports, including a Emmy Award for outstanding sports journalism. So what was it like winning such awards and like stuff like that? I always say that the the awards are gravy and that I'm just along for the ride. And at Real Sports, I would say that the producers do a lot of what we say call the heavy lifting. They do most of the real work, and they deserve to be recognized for the work that they do. Uh, I'm just fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. Um, maybe I make some small contributions. Yes, I'm the guy on camera, but they do a lot of the work, and because they don't get seen, they don't get the recognition that they deserve. And I think they've, um, you know, they warrant that. And for me, it's been really nice. It's it's nice. I, I again, I I would liken it to being an athlete, right? I think that you guys play sports. I don't think that you put on a pair of sneakers and say, "I want to win an NBA title." when you're six, or you don't say, I'm going to win an Olympic medal when I'm six. Yeah, those are dreams. But I think that if you put on a pair of sneakers and you run, and it turns out that you're pretty good at it, and you work hard at it, then good things will happen. And that's sort of how I look at the awards. Uh, I've been at this now for you know 30 years, and when you work with good people and smart people, and you're lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time, and people like your work, then you might win an award or two. And one day in your obituary, somebody will mention that you won a couple of Emmy Awards. So, like you mentioned before, you travel all around the world. So, what do you think that one of the greatest places you visited has been? Oh, I've been to so many great places, and, and, and they, they're good for different reasons. Um, Japan is wonderful because of the sushi and <laughs> the subway systems and the people and its efficiency. Um, so I love Japan. Uh, it's, a, it's really a, a terrific place and love the people and the culture. I've been to Brazil several times, different parts of Brazil, not just to the big cities. It's a really interesting place. It's, uh, it's a fun place and, uh, eye opening to go see that part of the world. Um, last year I was in Austria and Norway, and I'd been to Austria before. I'd never been to Norway, and it is just a, while small, a magnificent place full of beauty and really nice people. And I would say most of the places that I've been to, I would go back to again. Um, I, I, I was also two years ago in, in several different parts of the Philippines, and that was an amazing experience, an eye-opening experience, because we were exposed to probably one of the the, the poorest areas and, and some of the poorest people on the face of the earth. And yet they're full of life and happiness and joy. And we saw, you know, to see how other people live is eye-opening and educating and important um, to have some empathy in life for others. So um, now we're going to move on to some rapid fire questions and some fun questions to ask you a little bit so the first one is talking about sports like did you have a favorite sports team and player you mean when i was growing up yeah i would say so i was born in washington dc and i lived there till i was nine till we moved back to new york and uh which you know puts us right in the heart of the news today because i was an avid washington football fan um, I'm not even sure if it's acceptable anymore to say I was a Washington Redskins fan. But as you know, they're, they're on the brink of changing their name, um, which, you know, while I grew up with it, things change. 
the norms change, what's acceptable changes. Um, so, you know, I, I think they're making the right move. But yes, I was I was a, a diehard Washington Redskins fans. I cried over many of their losses. Um, <laughs> probably, you know, well into my teenage years when they when they lost some heartbreakers to the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Sonny Jurgensen was their great quarterback, who I absolutely loved. Uh, Larry Brown was one of their great running backs, who was uh, partially deaf in one of his ears, and so he always had to line up on the right, on the certain side of the quarterback, on Sonny Jurgensen or Billy Kilmer, who was the other quarterback, so that he could hear the the uh, signals called. Um, so those guys were were my idols when I was growing up. I, I absolutely loved them. And then when we moved back to New York, I became, uh, because of my grandfather, I became a Knicks fan, a, a Mets fan, even though my dad had grown up a Yankees fan. Uh, but football was always my passion. What do you think the Redskins are going to change their name to? Oh, you got me. What do you think it should be? I heard that. it should have anything to do with their history and, and the former name, or it should be completely different? I heard the Warriors, but I don't really know what they're going to do. Right. Um, you know, there was time, it might be before your time. When the the wizards were called the bullets, yeah, and you know people, you know that was not a good name. <laughs> What's that? They have like Manute Bull, like yes. I, I'm trying to think whether Manute whether they had changed the name yet or whether Manute was part of that team when they were still called the bullets. I don't remember the years. Um. So our next question is: If you weren't a sports journalist today, what would you be? That's uh, my my other daughter, Gemma's sister, Ariella, just said from off from off the way uh, that I would be a costume designer um, because Gemma and I have a really good time doing our Halloween costumes, um, and, and I think it's a kick. I'm, my guess is, huh? Yeah. A, a school principal. I guess you know I, I would either be in other some other form of entertainment or um, I've often dreamed of of being a high school football coach. And uh, I think I'd really enjoy being a coach and a teacher of some sorts, though I have no background or education in that field. So I'd have to go back and get some training. But maybe some some other area of performance um, would have appealed to me. So what do you think, like, the best subject you've ever reported on? Like, what's your favorite? My favorite subject to report on? Hmm. That's a... That's really a tough one. Um, I, th- I think I'm, I'm going to give you a rather generic answer to that. And, and that is that I think that the, the, the Kids and Guns piece was actually a, an important one. And I think that the stories that really make people stop and think and, and resonate with people, um, those are the stories that I enjoy most. And I think the stories that I actually learn from and expose me to different people and different hobbies and give me an understanding that not everybody lives in my world and sees the world the way I see it or have grown up in. And that's what I think was so important about the Kids and Guns piece, which is why I know that people have a passion for guns and for hunting. That when we went to Illinois and we we met a family that had two young daughters, one was a teenager, one was not even in her teens yet, and they were already teaching their girls how to hunt. Um, and they were actually very successful at it. They had won many awards. I think that to understand that there are many communities in our country and certainly around the world, but 
but in the United States as well, where we might just, we, we're inclined to teach our kids or take our kids out to play community soccer or community baseball or basketball. And in many parts of the country, they're just as apt to go out and teach their kids how to hunt um, for deer or turkey or whatever it may be. And that's normal for them. And I, and I think that that's really important to understand that there are people who see the world very differently and have a lot of different passions from, from mine. So we're going to wrap it up with a few more questions. And the first one is, what do you, what do you look forward to doing the most once quarantine ends? Hmm. Uh, traveling again. Um, not because I don't love my family. I do. This has been really fun to be with everybody. But I miss, I miss, you know, seeing different parts of the world and, and different parts of the United States. As I said, even though I've been already to all 50 states, I enjoy going to places I've never been. Right before quarantine, I finally made it to Toledo, Ohio. I'd never been to Toledo. Um, and, and that was interesting for me to go see and to talk to people who say, who can tell me what their world is like on a, on a daily basis. We went there to interview a boxer. Um, so I, I, I miss the travel, meeting the people. And I can't say that, you know, getting on a plane a couple times a week doesn't get tiring, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the big takeaway is that it's, that it's a positive experience. So, in the beginning of this interview, you said you hated the winters at Syracuse, but what do you think you would choose, summer or winter? Ooh. Wow. Winter. I think winter. Um, I, I love to ski, and I'm passionate about it, and, um, and you wear cool jackets. Uh, but I think, I think I would choose winter. Uh Again, just because I, I, skiing is a wonderful sport and it's a great family sport. I love doing it with my family. So I, I don't know that I'd like to, you know, since skiing, the skiing in Syracuse and New York and central New York in general isn't all that great. And the winters are so biting cold. I'm not sure that I'd like to do it there, but um, I like the winters. So our last question is, who's your biggest role model just in, in any sport or like just in your life really? I'd have to say, and I know this is a bit of a cop-out, um, there have been several people, let me put it to you this way, there have been several people in this field of broadcasting who've been wonderful role models and teachers, even if they haven't directly taken me under their wing. Um, but I've had the very good fortune of working for Bob Costas and working for and alongside Brian Gumble and Katie Couric and, um, and many others. Um, I got a chance to work a little bit with Tom Brokaw and Peter Jennings and Dan Rather and, and again, so many other really good broadcasters and including the women that I work with now, Andrea Kramer, Soledad O'Brien, Mary Carrillo. So all of those people have been, have been wonderful and good influences and teachers in my life. But I think if there's one person that sits on top of the heap, it has to be my dad and, and not just because he's been my dad but because he's also been a lifetime journalist. He spent his entire career at the New York Times. Um, he started reporting when he was in college at Columbia and retired as the executive editor of the newspaper in 1994. So not only has he been loving and supporting and providing through my life um, as a father, but he's done 
essentially all those same things in my career. And he's often sort of my litmus test, the, the person who I go to and say, okay, you know, where does this stack up? Is this the right thing? Are we taking the right approach in journalism? Is it fair to ask this question? Am I being too harsh or not tough enough? And um, so, you know, it's nice to be able to turn to one person and gain both knowledge and love. So that's about to wrap up our podcast interviews. So thanks so much, John, again, for joining us. To our listeners, please make sure to donate to our GoFundMe charity to help COVID-19 relief, which still is in our bio on Instagram. And please comment, follow, and drop a like on our podcast on Spotify, Apple, and SoundCloud. Thank you, John, for joining us, and stay safe. Thank you, guys. You stay safe as well. I appreciate it. You were terrific. Thank you so much. Peace.